Uh, so tonight we're beginning this new series, as Lee was saying, called Mind, Body and Soul. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing from a range of different people. So there are a few Christian psychiatrists who will be coming to speak to us. Uh, there's also people who, who will come uh, who've had a lot of experience working with young people, dealing with anxiety and depression. And so what I want to focus on tonight is not so much the medical side of things. That's not my area of expertise. But it's really to look at what the Bible has to say about mental health. Does it have anything to say at all? And I think that it does. I think it actually can provide us with a huge amount of help and support. So I'm not going to get into the specifics. I'll touch upon a bit of the the medical perspective, but I'll leave others uh, who will come in the next few weeks who can dive into that in a bit more detail. And you might ask tonight, well, why are we doing a series like this? Uh, In the first place, why do we feel the need to talk about mental health? And the short answer to that really is that there is in this country, it's no exaggeration to say that there is a bit of a a mental health crisis. And actually that crisis has just gotten worse and worse over the last number of years. So you might be familiar with some of these statistics, but I'll just show a few of them. Around one in four adults in the UK have been diagnosed with at least one mental health problem over their lifetime. That in a country uh, the size of the UK, that represents millions of people. Uh, and anxiety and depression causes an estimated one-fifth of all days lost from work in Britain. And so it's not just a personal issue, this is a huge social problem as well. And then deaths by suicide rose by almost 11% in the UK in 2018. And actually, when it comes to Northern Ireland, we have some of the worst outcomes when it comes to suicide. Just this last week, it was reported that young people aged 15 to 24 uh, are more than twice as likely to take their own lives compared to those in England. So this is a huge crisis, and of course suicide is a a complex thing. Uh, There are lots of different factors, but it's very often linked to poor mental health. So this is something we want to take really seriously. Of course, those statistics aren't just numbers on a screen or numbers on a page, but they represent real people's lives, individuals' lives, people who battle daily against a dark cloud of depression or anxiety or some other mental health condition. And as Lee was saying, this is not uncommon among Christians. We are not exempt from this because it's a symptom of the fallen world that we live in. And so this topic tonight is deeply personal. You might be here this evening and you are in the midst of this right now. Perhaps it's anxiety or depression or something else. But if you've never faced this yourself, there's bound to be somebody. There will be someone in your family or a friend or in the church or a work colleague, someone you know who has suffered or is suffering with this. So this is far from being a theoretical discussion. And so tonight, what I want to look at is firstly, we're going to look at what the Bible says about mental health. And we're going to look a little bit at how the Bible talks about us as human beings. What are human beings made of? Second, we'll address the question, is mental illness the result of sin? The short answer to that is no. No, absolutely not. It's the result of the fall, but it's not a result uh, necessarily of personal sin. Third, we'll see how the Bible offers help for people struggling with mental health issues. And we'll look at one person in particular, Elijah, 
and how the Lord responded to him. Uh, We'll also see how Jesus helps us through all kinds of suffering, including mental health issues. And then finally, we'll consider some practical steps. What are some ways in which we as individuals and as the church can help those struggling with mental health? Okay, so firstly, what does the Bible say about mental health? And this is actually quite tricky because the Bible, of course, doesn't use the terms mental health or mental illness. Those are relatively new terms. And so it's not the sort of language that we should expect to find when we go to the Bible. But the Bible does refer to uh, symptoms or conditions that we today would look at and say, well, they seem to be consistent with some mental health illnesses like depression or anxiety. But before we look at really what the Bible says about mental health, we need to think about, well, what is a human being in the first place? What are we made of? And the big point here, I think, is to say that the Bible very clearly shows us that we're both physical and spiritual beings, both physical and spiritual. And the Bible is clear that we're made in the image of God, says that in Genesis chapter 1. Now, there's quite a big debate about whether the human person is split into two parts or three parts. Uh, this is often called the, uh, the, the bipartite or tripartite distinction. So some people, uh, like John Calvin, for example, would say that human beings are basically uh, two parts, their body and their soul. Whilst other people like Augustine, uh, way back uh, in the early church, would say, no, it's three parts, we're body, soul and spirit. And there are Christians over the years who have supported both of these views. Uh, but we don't really have time to get into that this evening. That's not the big point. Because actually, whilst there is disagreement over uh, how exactly human beings are made up, whether it's two or three parts, there is agreement in the Bible that human beings have both a spiritual and a physical nature. That's the big point. And actually, the Bible affirms both the goodness of the spiritual and the physical. So in Genesis 1, verse 31, we read this. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And that includes human beings. We are created in the beginning as good before the fall. So that idea that human beings are both physical and spiritual, and both of those are united, and both of those parts are good, that stands in a massive contrast to some ancient Greek ideas of the human body. Uh, There was a philosophy called Gnosticism back in the first century, and the Gnostic teachers claimed that there was a good God who created the spirit and the spiritual realm, and there was an evil God who created the physical realm, So they said the physical realm is is bad, it's evil, that's why we have suffering in the world, because all the physical stuff is bad. And so they believed that the human body necessarily was bad as well. But the Bible again is very clear, everything is created by God as good in the beginning. So as Christians, we're, we're to glorify God with our bodies. Jesus appeared on earth as God in the flesh, the material stuff is good, Jesus appeared not just as a spirit, not just as a body, but a whole human being. But as human beings, we're not just simply our bodies. We're spiritual as well. We're not just clumps of cells. And so the big point here is that we have a spiritual nature as well as our physical nature. Romans 8, for example, says this. 
The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, there's a capital S there. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, small s, that we are God's children. And so when the Holy Spirit saves us and we are converted, he transforms our spirits. It's not primarily a bodily, physical thing. And it's not just a mental thing. It's not that we pick up the Bible and look through it and say, okay, it would be a a very smart decision to become a Christian. Sounds reasonable. I think I'll do that. No, it's a spiritual rebirth. It's not a physical thing. And so that's one of the reasons why thinking in terms of human beings as both physical and spiritual is really important. The question then is, where does the mind fit into all of this? When we're thinking about mental health, where does the mind come in? Well, we know today with modern medicine that the brain is the organ in our body that is responsible for all of our our thinking and our thought processes. Uh, People have described it as the biological computer. It it governs our nervous system. Uh, And so our brain is part of our physical nature, part of our bodies. And so the thinking capacity that we have, we would describe as the mind. The Bible does talk about the mind, but not exactly in the same way that we would today. So in the Old Testament, the word heart, uh, it's lev in the Hebrew. It's often used to refer to the whole inner self. So if you look through the Old Testament, you'll often see that the heart is described as the place where there's understanding, there's wisdom, and so on. The place where decisions are made. And that's actually very close to what we would think of today as the mind. So we see the command in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then we see the same command that we find in Deuteronomy 6. It's reiterated again in the New Testament in Luke's gospel. So a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he asks him, how can I have eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you, what do you think? How do you read the law? And the teacher responds and he says this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So you can see the the key difference here, is that the verse in, in Luke chapter 10 is exactly the same as that in Deuteronomy 6, but the key difference is there's the addition of all your mind, this phrase, all your mind. And that's the Greek word, dianoia, that's used for mind there. So is Jesus adding to the Old Testament law? Does this text say, well, look, in the Old Testament, you just had to love God with your heart and with your soul. Your thinking processes were up to you. But in the New Testament now, you've got to engage your mind. Well, no, not at all, not at all. Now, people in the Old Testament always had the understanding that human beings used their, they wouldn't call it mind, but they believed it took place in the heart. Uh, But they used thinking, they used reason, they had a will, and so on. But the big difference is that they used different words. They had the concept of heart rather than the mind, the dianoia. Later on in the New Testament, Paul also talks about the mind. Just one example is Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he uses the little Greek word here, nous, which means uh, the mind or the intellect or reason. 
And actually, we still sort of use the word nice today as a bit of a slang term. So you might say, well, he's a politician with a bit of nice. It means common sense or, or intelligence or street smarts. Uh, so, but it's clear that for Paul and the other biblical writers, they had a sense of what the mind is, that it's a source of reasoning. They may have used different words for it, heart or dianoia or nice and so on. So what does that mean then for all of us? Well, we, as I've said, we have a physical nature, and that includes our brains, which produces our thoughts, and we also have a spiritual nature. We are whole beings. There isn't one aspect that we can ever live without. We can't say, I'm going to live without my spirit, or without my body, or my mind. And actually, it means that our mental health is related, yes, to our brains, and, but actually that can affect our physical health and our spiritual lives as well. So you might know from personal experience that your poor physical health can cause mental symptoms and vice versa. So when our body is sick, even with something relatively minor like the flu, well often our spiritual life and our mental processes and our emotions are affected as well. And then if our mental health is poor, well, then it can have an impact upon our spiritual lives. Somebody with depression, for example, can often struggle to be able to concentrate on reading the Bible or praying, or they may find it very difficult to, to meet people and to have fellowship. And so mind and body and spirit, they're all related. So what about some examples of mental health issues in the Bible? Again, the Bible doesn't use the term mental illness, but it does describe symptoms of it. And the Psalms are often a very good place to go uh, for that. So we heard earlier Psalm 42. Another example is Psalm 88. It's also been described as one of the saddest Psalms of the Psalter. And it's sometimes taken as a passage that speaks very, very closely to the experience of depression. Uh, so Psalm 88 verse 6 and 9 says this. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. This is just one of quite a number of psalms that speak of despair and darkness and hopelessness. Now, there are times when people can feel like that, and it isn't necessarily a medical uh, diagnosis of depression. But the language that the psalm uses here really resonates with depression, doesn't it? And what these verses tell us is that the Bible deals really honestly with the reality of pain and of suffering. It's honest. The psalmist doesn't say, I'm feeling so terrible, I'm at my lowest ebb but I'm just going to grit my teeth and get on with it. I don't really want to bother other people with my feelings. No, he's honest. And actually, we can look at these verses and think, well, this looks really bleak, but it's actually very comforting. I had a friend a few years ago who went through an experience of depression for about a year, very deep and profound depression. And he told me that during that time, the only thing that he could read was the Psalms. It's the only thing that he was able to find comfort in. I myself, about 10 years ago, and I don't often talk about this, uh, but about 10 years ago I went through a period in my final year of university where I just felt incredibly low, 
for about six months. And I found huge comfort in the Psalms. I was able to go to the Psalter and find page after page of stuff that was just really comforting. Because I felt I'm not in that happy, clappy place. I don't feel in a place where I want to praise you, Lord. And yet I was able to voice and vocalize how I was feeling. So Psalms like this can vocalize some of the symptoms of depression and maybe anxiety as well. The second question then is, is mental health the result of sin? If you have a mental health condition, is that because you are living a sinful life? Or is it because of a lack of faith? And the answer to that is no. Sometimes, though, you'll hear somebody talking about depression. You've maybe experienced this yourself. We've gone through this, and somebody will come and say, well, look, if you are depressed, you just need to pray more. Or if you're feeling like this, you just need to have more faith. And that is actually very unhelpful because what that does is add a layer of guilt onto a burden that's already very great. Or they may even say, well, taking medication is a sinful response to depression. And we want to be very clear in saying that is not what the Bible says. Because the reality is that whenever somebody uh, is counseling somebody with a, a physical illness like heart disease or cancer or, say, a broken leg. We would never think of saying, well, look, take the example of a broken leg. Uh, Don't go to the hospital and get treatment. Just continue to hobble on that leg and just pray. You would never say that to somebody in that condition. No, we would say, well, you need to take the sensible step of seeking medical attention and we will pray for you. It's not an either-or option. And these physical problems are usually the result of living as fallen creatures in a fallen world. And so our brain is still part of our body, so we shouldn't expect it to be any different. It's not exempt from the effects of the fall. Now I want to clarify something here, because mental illness actually can be, can be the result of sin. The author David Murray has written a book called Christians Get Depressed Too, and he says this. Just as heart disease can be caused by abusing the body with smoking or alcohol, and a broken leg can be caused by pushing the body beyond God-given limitations, so brain illness can be caused by personal sin. So a condition like depression, for example, can sometimes, sometimes be caused by sin. And the Bible does acknowledge that. So when we look at Psalms 32 and, and 51... David is displaying some symptoms of physical and and emotional signs of depression. But those are linked to his murder and his adultery. And again, we would expect that. We are whole beings. Our physical, mental, and spiritual capacities all relate to one another. And so if there's something that we've done that causes us great mental anguish, well, then that can be a source of mental health condition. But that said, I want to be very, very clear A mental health condition is not in and of itself sinful, nor is it due to lack of faith. And that misunderstanding is addressed in the book, I'm Not Supposed to Feel Like This. It's a book written by a pastor and two Christian psychiatrists. So near the beginning of the book, the authors say this, Although at times we all choose to act in ways that are wrong, and this can lead to bad consequences for us and for others, We do not see anxiety and depression as always being the result of sin. Neither do we believe that mental health problems are the result of a lack of faith. 
Okay, thirdly then, how does the Bible address those who struggle with mental health issues? Is there any help that we can uh, get here? If you have a Bible, um, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And here we have the story of, of Elijah. And I think actually this is a really good little case study uh, in, in dealing with depression in the Bible and how God responds. And when we read chapter 19, the context is Elijah, you'll probably know the story. Elijah has just had this, this amazing spiritual victory on Mount Carmel with the, the false prophets of Baal. And he's called fire down in these prophets. But then one of his great enemies, Queen Jezebel, well, she's not very happy about this. Uh, and so she threatens to kill him. She's determined to kill him. And Elijah, you can imagine, is not very pleased with, with her plan. And so we pick up the story in chapter 19, verse 3. It says this. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a brim bush, sat on, down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now this passage doesn't say Elijah had depression. But safe to say he's showing the signs, the symptoms of a depressive illness. He has suicidal thoughts. And again, this isn't a theoretical issue. That might be something that you right now are, are dealing with tonight. It might be something that you faced recently. Or it might be something that you have heard from a friend or a family member that you know has been dealing with this. Elijah seems to be totally burnt out, hugely discouraged. I know I would feel the same way if somebody very powerful was out to kill me. He would feel discouraged. So how does the Lord respond? Well, God essentially does two things. He helps him physically and he helps him spiritually. First, he helps him physically. Let's look at the, the very first response to Elijah. God sends an angel, and we see what the angel does. Let's look at this in verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So God sends this angel, and the angel doesn't turn up and say, Elijah, I bring you great uh, news, tidings of great joy. He doesn't turn around to Elijah and say, Elijah, you need to repent from those sinful thoughts. No, the very first thing that this angel does is very practical and very simple. He bakes him some bread. He cooks him a meal. And he recognizes, God recognizes that part of the issue in Elijah's case is that he is a physical being. He's burnt out and he's discouraged. And of course, not all uh, cases of depression are the same, but very often what is needed is physical care and kindness. You really cannot go wrong with that. Physical care and kindness. And the last thing that Elijah needs at this point is a lecture. He doesn't even need a sermon. What he needs and in God's infinite wisdom and compassion, he knows exactly what Elijah needs. What he needs 
is a simple meal and some sleep. The message to Elijah is get some rest and get a good meal. And for us, what that means for us is that if you are struggling with this tonight, or if you have a a friend who's struggling with this, well, sometimes what you need is just rest. It is to recognize that you are a physical being. You need to take care of yourself. You need to do something that's going to recharge your batteries, as it were, to, to get a good meal. If you enjoy music, to go to a concert or to listen to some great music, to read a really great book, something that is going to refresh you physically and to get some sleep. But in the end, we're not only physical creatures. And the Lord doesn't stop there with Elijah because later on in the passage, God responds to Elijah. And verse 11, he says this. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So a good meal and a great night's sleep, it's a wonderful place to start. But that's not where the Lord leaves Elijah. No, he appears and he speaks to him, showing him his glory. And later on in the passage, we see that God actually demonstrates to Elijah that he's totally sovereign. He's totally in control. And he is the one who can provide hope in the midst of Elijah's situation. And so we don't just need physical and emotional and mental care as good as all of that is, as important as all of that is. But in the end, we need to hear the voice of God. That is the only thing that can give us hope. God's voice speaking to us, guiding us, directing us, even correcting us whenever we need it, as God did to Elijah. So today we don't have uh, God's presence in the same way that Elijah saw that, but we do have the Holy Spirit pointing us back to Jesus, guiding us through God's word. So from this passage, we see that God does deal with Elijah according to his need, first the physical and then the spiritual. But the greatest help for us for any kind of suffering, and that includes mental illness, any suffering we go through is found in the Lord Jesus. He's both fully God and fully human and he's experienced many of the kinds of suffering that we could ever face. In fact he's experienced the worst kind of suffering and that's not to say that Jesus himself uh, suffered from depression or anxiety or anything like that but if we think about the moment that was alluded to earlier on, the moment in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says in Mark chapter 14, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Here is Jesus facing the deepest mental anguish than anyone could ever face. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows that he's about to face the penalty for all the sin that you and I have committed. And so he's full of anguish. He's our sympathetic high priest. He's able to sympathize with us. We see it clearly in the prophecy that Isaiah makes of Jesus coming. This is in Isaiah chapter 53. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And not only did Jesus bear our sin on the cross, and that, of course, is so central, it's so important to the message of the gospel and in this passage. But not only that, no, he also took up our suffering and our pain. And of course, we still suffer from the effects of the fall today. God doesn't promise us that we're going to be suddenly just delivered from this world and transported immediately into heaven. And yet we know that one day, every tear will be wiped away. Every tear. All the suffering, all of the pain. And that includes pain from mental illness. Every aspect of the brokenness of our fallen world will be put right. And that's the day when we'll enter into the joy and the fullness and the wholeness of the new creation. The reality for us today for those of us who are struggling with a mental health condition, is that that may not disappear, that may never be cured, this side of the new creation. We hope and pray that it will be. But God doesn't guarantee that it will. What he does guarantee is his presence with us, the sympathetic high priest, Jesus, who knows exactly what we are going through because he's created us and he's suffered through the cross. That is the hope that we hold on to in the midst of the brokenness of our world, that Jesus walks with us through our pain. Finally then, what are some practical steps that we can take uh, if we want to help people, both for those who are currently struggling with their mental health themselves and then also for, for those of us who are caring for them? Well, this is really very much just a summary, and over the next few weeks we'll have more guidance on this, but I just thought of the three three things you can do, the three ABCs, if you like, of mental health care. Firstly, the A, ask for help. If you are here this evening and you're experiencing anxiety or depression or another kind of mental health condition, please do seek the appropriate help. Uh, There are all kinds of resources that you can have. Please speak to a family member or a friend. Please speak to one of us. Please see your doctor, your local GP, if, if that is what you need. Do please get the help that you need. And if medication is something that you need, then absolutely we would advise you, do take that. Follow your GP's recommendation. Whatever you do, do not suffer in silence. There are people who can help you and we would love to help you. Secondly, then, be be aware of those who are struggling. There are a lot of people who, if they're going through something really, really difficult, sometimes people will say that to you in a clear way. But often there might be people who are struggling with something and they'll not say it explicitly. Uh, You have to look for some clues. Maybe it's people who haven't been to church in a while. And it's worth just checking in with them, picking up the phone, calling, sending a text. Maybe it's somebody who you, you've just noticed a change in their pattern or their moods or behavior. 
And it's really worth just asking that question, how are, how are things? And then whenever they say, well, fine, it's fine, going beyond that and saying, well, no, really, how are things? Be aware of those who are struggling. And then thirdly, see care for one another. And there's a thousand different ways that we can do this. Uh, but really, I think that the important thing from when we look at Elijah is that we need to physically care for one another and also spiritually care. Physically care, we can do that by hanging out with people, just having a cup of coffee with them, uh, going to see a film with them, whatever it is that they enjoy doing, making a meal for them if they can't cook, those kinds of things. And I'm sure there are many other ideas that you've already been doing. But then spiritual care as well, speaking truth into their lives. Very often people, whenever they have anxiety or depression or other illnesses, there's a, a thought pattern that goes on that just isn't quite right uh, that maybe contains some lies that they're, they're hanging on to. So it's just gently correcting from God's words where the opportunity arises. And then praying for one another as well is absolutely essential. We're going to spend some time now praying just briefly, maybe five minutes or so uh, before we close. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you are the God of all comfort. Lord, you've created us in your image. And Lord, we know that because we live in the broken, fallen world that we do, that sometimes our minds, as a result of the fall, Lord, they do uh, suffer illnesses. We pray, Lord, for all of us here tonight and within the church who are struggling with mental health conditions, with depression, with anxiety, with fear. We do just pray that you'd bring restoration and wholeness to those who are struggling. We pray, Lord, you'd bring comfort and peace and joy. We thank you, Lord, for our doctors and nurses and our medical teams all across the country, Lord, who can provide us with such great help when it comes to mental health conditions. We pray, Lord, you would give them wisdom and skill and care and compassion as they care for those who are struggling. We pray too, Lord, as well for us, that you would give us a discerning heart and compassionate hearts, Lord, to be able to look out for those in our midst who are struggling. Most of all, Lord, we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are the suffering servant, the man of sorrows who went to the cross for us who knows the pain and the brokenness of our world. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the hope that one day all things will be put right. Lord, every tear will be wiped away and there will be wholeness. There will be, Lord, in the end. We thank you for the hope and the comfort that you provide to us here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know if the couple of prayer points there at the end, Andrew. Thank you. Um, there are some resources as well. Sorry, just before we go back to that one. Um, some really good books on that. David Murray's book, I would really recommend Christians Get Depressed too. Um, Zach S. Fine's got a little book, Spurgeon's Sorrows, that, that talks about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was, a, I'm sure you know, a wonderful preacher, a really godly man. He suffered with uh, depression himself. Uh, and yet God used him so powerfully 
And so that's just a little book about him. Uh, Christopher Ashe, as well as the Orthout Burnout, is just a really practical guide as to how you can combat some of the, uh, the more common symptoms of, of overwork and, and burning out. Um, so just the next slide there. Uh, prayer points, if we could just spend five minutes now um, in groups. You, you might want to get into, into groups of three or four or five. And so we'll just pray for people in our church. Uh, you may know people that this might be, again, for you this evening. This is a very real issue. Just pray that people would know God's peace and his comfort and presence in, in their lives. Pray as well for the cares of, of those people. And then finally pray for our medical staff, doctors and nurses, people who are dealing with this on the front lines, often without uh, resources and support, and yet dealing with a growing list of patients. So please, uh, if you could pray for those, 